0: Hello and welcome to the RCC Weekly Sermon Podcast. This week, Pastor Kinney taught from John chapter seventeen. When God's people live together for the glory of God, this is the best context for the evangelism of God's kingdom. You can turn in your Bibles now to John chapter seventeen. We're continuing on our series called um, uh, "I Have Decided," and it comes from a hymn that was written in the early 1900s uh, in, a, in a third world country. A missionary went to this village, none of them had heard about Jesus, and starts evangelizing and telling people about Jesus. And one family from this large tribe, which was very wicked, by the way, uh, some rumors would say, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that's got some fable over the years, and we don't know 100% what's true, but one of the, the stories is that they were cannibal-type community, very tough community. He goes there, doesn't get eaten, Tells them about Jesus. One family becomes a Christian. Well, they're they're a very influential family, and then another family becomes a Christian. And then another family becomes a Christian. So the chief of the tribe, uh, they have this big council, and they decide they're going to threaten, they're going to put a stop to this. They already chased the missionary out of town. Now this family that's starting it, they go to them, and they say, we can stop them, we can stop this whole spread. Sound like acts a little bit? This is just 100 years ago. And, and they tell them, they take them out and they say, we're going we're to torture and kill your family if you don't renounce Jesus. And the father's so convicted that Jesus is his new Lord and King, and he says, I have decided to follow Jesus. The whole family dies, it's just him. And they go, one more chance. And he goes, I have decided to follow Jesus. And they burn him at the stake. And that's not a fun thing to think about But but years later, somebody hears this story and writes this song. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. So inspired from this family that believed so much that Jesus was Lord. That would be the one thing that they wouldn't do. I would do anything to save my family. I just won't do that. I won't renounce Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So we're doing this series called I Have Decided... Just trying to remind us that we're, as a church, are are trying to passionately point people to Jesus. That's our mission. And learn to be and make disciples. And we believe that healthy disciples make healthy disciples. The church leadership doesn't make disciples. Our church makes disciples. We're all disciple-making disciples. We need to learn to be disciples, healthy disciples, before we can go out and make healthy disciples. And so this series is really, what does it look like to be a disciple? You have to decide to follow Jesus. It's a calling to decide to follow Jesus. And every time you decide to do one thing, you're saying no to 10,000 other things, right? In life, if you decide to do this, right? You're, you're saying no to 10,000 other things. It's like the, it's like the biggest... Um, stress of most millennials' life, right? Because they don't like to miss out on any opportunity, so they like to be non-committal, right? I won't commit to anything until the very last moment I'll decide which is the most important of my four options, and I'll do that. But I'm not going to, like, fill out your thing with a yes, no, or maybe that you sent me as an email two weeks before. I don't know what's going to happen in two weeks from now, right? So we don't want to live our Christian lives like that. We want to decide to follow Jesus, no turning back, no other options. There's one one way for me, deciding to follow Jesus. So this morning we're going to look at something that Jesus prayed in John 17, um, and it's significant, and it's about evangelism. And we've already admitted that evangelism can be hard, but I want you to think as we begin and we prepare to hear what Jesus teaches us, um, think about if you had a friend who was agnostic. So atheists would mean, um, I don't believe there is a God. Generally, like the neo-agnostic, the postmodern agnostic baseline theology is this. The way they think about God is this. There probably is a God, or there might be a God, but if there is a God, there's no way that I could know Him, so I'm not worried about it. Agnostic. And what if somebody believed that? That if there is a God, there's no way that I could know about him what would you say to that person try to convince them that no Jesus is Lord and Savior what would you say and you might ask them this question what would you have to see or experience in order to believe and what would it take to break through that that hard line that you've drawn and decided what would it take for you to believe and they might say all kinds of wild things. Like, if God opened up the skies and, and showed his faith, blah, right? then I'd believe. If God would just answer this one prayer I have, then I would believe. What might we say? What about if he did more than just open up the sky? He actually came down to earth and lived as a human. What, would you believe then? That? Because that's what happened. Right? So what would it take for you to believe? And the interesting thing of why I bring this up is that we're going to look at John 17. John 17 is known as the high priestly prayer, or the, or the prophetic prayer, or the kingly prayer. Because Jesus was prophet, priest, and king. So he prays this prayer, and it's at the end of the farewell discourse. When do you think Jesus would, when part of his life would he do his farewell discourse? At the very end. It's a farewell discourse. It goes from John 14 to John 17, and he says things in this like this. He goes, "It's going to be good if I leave, because if I leave, then I'll give you the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's going to help you." It's John 14 uh, uh, clips notes, right? And then John 15, he's like, "You got to abide in God. You got to stay close to God, like 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 a vine. Like God is the vine, and you're the branch. You're the branch connected. And if you stay, if you if you stay connected to God, then you're going to flourish." Right, and then he says something really interesting. He goes, he goes, if I leave, it'll be really a good thing because when I leave, I'm not going to just be chilling. I'm going to go up to heaven. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I prepare a place for you, I'm coming back. And then John 17, he publicly, out loud, prays to his father, and it's a, it's an amazing prayer. And he prays And if you have your Bible, a paper Bible, you can open it. If you have your um, app, you can open that too. I am going to ask you to mark up your Bible a little bit. That would be a little bit harder on your iPhone. But you can still do that. Um, But you'll notice if you have your, your John 17 open in your paper Bible or in your app, that there's some big sections in there. It's broken into three sections. In the beginning, Jesus prays for himself. Is that significant? I mean, here's God who has all the ability... To, I mean, period. I mean, it's just a period goes there, right? Nothing he can't do, but he prays for himself—a little self-soul care, right? That's just significant. Even Jesus knew he needed to pray for himself, and then he prayed for his disciples. He prayed for his his disciples who were trying to be healthy disciples because they were going to go out and make healthy disciples. And then he prays, and when you say his disciples, he means like his, his immediate followers at that time. He prays for them. And then he prays for all believers. I said he prays for us. Us included. And that's what we're going to look at. What did Jesus pray for? Don't, do you guys want to know how Jesus prayed for you? Jesus, pray, Jesus prayed for us. We're going to read it this morning. It's pretty, it's pretty rad. And here's the big idea that I hope that you see. The big idea is Jesus is going to pray because when God's people bind together and live for the glory of God together, it is the best context for evangelism to happen. That's what we're going to look at today. When we say, I'm deciding to follow Jesus... If, evangel, if, we want, if you want to know the best context for evangelism, Jesus is going to pray. And I'll just give you the hint. He's going to say, what you guys, what I want to pray that you guys would do is that you would bind together in, in such a united way. And it's not like a superficial united way where, where this church and this church will do an event together. Oh, wow, unity. No, it's like brotherhood unity. It's like accepting each other as family, even though anyone else have a family that has some people in it that you're like... <laughs> I don't know if I want to claim them, but I just will because they have no claim. Right? Like, families are messy. Right? Families are messy. The church is messy. But it's my mess. Right? And so when we bind together, for God's word, what does that mean? That's, that is, as Christian as it gets. We're going to try to learn what that means this morning. And it's important to know what it means if it's significant. But the old end goal is he's saying that if we would do that, and we would passionately point people to Jesus, and we would learn to be and make disciples. That's what, that's what it looks like. And if, if we're going to try to skip those steps, that's it's, it's not how he prayed. That's not what he wanted for us. It's not what Jesus wanted for us. So John 17, uh, verse 20 through 26. Just imagine Jesus. He's, he's in Jerusalem. It's Passover time. It's the last week of his life. He's said some profound things already. And he's just like, now I'm just going to bust out. This prayer, I'm going to drop the mic, and then I'm going to get crucified, basically, right? He goes, I pray not only for these. He's talking about the disciples that were right there amongst them in that moment, right? Matthew, I mean, uh, uh, John, right? And Andrew, Peter, right? Timothy, the doubter, right? Judas already gone at this point, right? But I'm sure he was praying for him, too, right? He's just praying for his peeps he goes, but not only for them. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. Point to your neighbor. You're pointing to who he's praying for right now. May they, have, may they all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I'm in you. And may they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. And I have given them the glory that you have given me. So that they may be one as we are one, right? They may be one as the Trinity is one, and I am in them, and you are in me, and so that they may, may, they be, they may be made completely one, that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. And Father, I want, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, so that they will see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the world's foundation. And righteous Father, the world has not known you. However, I have known you and they have known that you sent me. And I made your name known to them and will continue to make it known so that the love you have loved me with may be in them and I may be in them. So we have these three big ideas that he's talking about the unity of God's people that they would be one and did you notice that he goes hey I want them to be one and let's give an example of like how oneness um, should they be as, as oneness as the Trinity as the Father and the Son and the Holy I pray that the church would be as, as connected and one as the, as the Trinity is is that, is that a pretty big bond pretty tight bond right and then he says, and that they, were, they would carry my glory. I've given it to them. That they would know who I am and that you sent me. There's something about God's glory that helps God be known. And then he says, if, if this thing would happen, then they would believe that you sent me. And they would see the love that, I've given, that you've given me and that I've given them. And they would see my love and they would somehow see me. And he goes, the world hasn't known, but I've made it known. Made it known to them. And then what does he say? And they're going go, to go take this message. They're going to be evangelizers. They're going to evangelize. They're going to carry the message that I sent. And it's going to be, and people are going to believe. It's evangelism, right? So we have, if we would bind, bind together and live for God's glory... And we would see people believing more often. We would see evangelism be fruitful. So it's important. So let's try to unpack how we can do that better. As a church, the first thing in your notes is the unity of God's people, the unity of God's people. And the first thing that you need to understand from a biblical, from Jesus's own mouth, from Jesus's perspective, is that when we decide to follow Jesus, if you say, I have decided to follow Jesus, when we decide to follow Jesus, it must be in a common unity as believers. Christianity is not an individual sport, right? Right? Christianity is, is a lot more like soccer or football, wherever you're from, and a lot less like tennis, although tennis is a cool sport, right? It is not an individual sport. And so he says in verse 21, may they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. I just want to reiterate that. We have the Father, we have the Son, the Holy Spirit. And the Father initiates all things, and the Son accomplishes all things, And the Holy Spirit applies all things. That's why Jesus said it would be good when the Holy Spirit comes. He's going to apply all these things that I've taught you. And the Father sends the Holy Spirit, sends Jesus. We see that in different passages. So that's the way that the Trinity works. They have different roles, but they work together as one. What if, what if the Father initiated, but the Son just neglected to accomplish? We, we wouldn't be where we're at, right? But what if Jesus accomplished, but then the Holy Spirit didn't come and apply it? then the church would have been very short-lived. And so all of these three are working together in unity, and they can't function without. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that we are a body, and each part matters, and when one part doesn't do its part, everyone suffers. So he's praying we would be so united, and and we would work together as one in unity in such a deep way, because that's the way that we're supposed to, Live as believers. It's what it means to decide to follow Jesus. It means to decide to be a part of God's family. And then to know this, that we are all sinners saved by grace. What unites us together? What unites us together? That we all, we all believe the same things? Not necessarily. I mean, if we were to have a political discussion, we could get a fist fight going here, I'll bet. Right? I mean, just look at Facebook. Right? We don't have to believe in, in the, all the same things. We put up with each other. and We love each other. And there's some essential things about who God is and what God has done and what God has promised that, that matter most. And then other things matter less and less from there. And they might be important, but they're not essential. And so we bind together. And and it's through God's grace. And you notice, if you have your paper Bible, you could even uh, uh, circle, underline, or highlight in verse 22 where it says, I have given them. I have given them my grace. And you can write in your margins, that's grace. When God gives us something, it's grace. He's given us his glory. And we're going to talk more about what that means. And it's by grace. We're united by one thing. We are all sinners saved by grace. And a lot of other things that we talk about all the time for here uh, flow out of that, right? Like, like not, not noticing the two-by-four that you think is in your neighbor's eye. But and, and when you have a, a – it goes, don't, take, don't notice the speck of dust that's in your neighbor's eye when you have a two-by-four in your eye. I, I tend to see it differently. I walk around and I'm like, that guy's got a huge two-by-four in his eye. That girl has a huge two-by-four in her eye. Man, you know what? This little dust in my eyes bothering me. I tend to see that differently. But when we're all sinners saved by grace, we can have a lot more grace for each other, right? We can put up with each other a little bit more, right? Because we're all all imperfect. We're all fellow strugglers. So that's what helps to unite us, is knowing that we're all a mess, but we all have Jesus as our hope, and he's what unites us, is what it means to be united in Christ is to know that we're all sinners saved by grace. And then he says that we are loved by God and are to be agents of God's love to the world. And notice, if you have your paper Bible, uh, circle this in the biggest, fattest pen that you have. It says in verse 22, As you have loved me. Let's stop for a second. (laughs) Your arms are uncrossing. This is going to hit your heart. Right? What he says right now, but Jesus prays, is he goes, Father, that you have loved them as much as you loved me? That's crazy. That's radical. How much do you think? How much do you think a Father loves Jesus, Amanda? That's how much He loves you. That nuts. I mean, that's still like there's. They argue about what's the what's the song, a reckless love. They argue about this. This is stupid love. Are you about that? This is like, I don't get it, love. But he loves you as much as the Father loves the Son. He loves us. I don't get that. But that's what Jesus is saying. And I that they would experience that. What if we experienced that as a church? And we lived out of that. Maybe people would notice. Yeah, people would notice. And that the world made know, is what he keeps saying over again, that you have sent me. And that you have loved them as you have loved me, as the Father loves Jesus. That's how much He loves us. It's crazy. So, just a recap in our first section is that Jesus has given us the glory of God. It's a gift. And when we are united for the glory of God, the world can somehow see that God has sent Jesus. In, in, in the way that they see us impacted by these truths, the grace that he's given us, the love that he's given us, and the grace that we give each other and the love that we give each other. You see how that works? He gave us grace. We give each other grace. He gave us love. We give each other love. When the world sees that, they can see God like you can see the wind when you look at a tree with floppy branches. You go, wow, it's windy today. Do you really see the wind or do you see the effects The wind. We see the effects, the world sees the effects of God's grace and God's love through His church. That's the primary way. So, when you ask your agnostic friend, what would you need to see in order to believe? Jesus is telling you what they need to see is you and me binding together for His glory. That's what they need, that's the answer. Those people, let me just, they don't know what they need. They couldn't give you an answer. They don't know until they see it. And they're waiting to see it in, in us. And so Jesus, before he launches the church, prays for the church. This is his specific prayer. Is that amazing? Why don't we talk about this more, huh? <laughs> and so number two in your notes is this. The display of God's glory. That's as Christian as you can get. I get that. Let's talk about what that means. If you have your paper Bible, I want you to circle, underline, or highlight. In verse 24, it says, So that they will see my glory. So that they will see my glory. And in your margins write, Revelation. That is Revelation. That is how people, that is how God reveals himself to the world. It's revel- revelation is how God reveals himself to the world. God reveals himself to the to the world through his glory. That's a starting point for us to try to figure out what does this mean to live for the glory of God. God reveals himself to the world through his glory. Always in Scripture. In Isaiah it says we were created for the glory of God, actually. Isaiah 43:7, you were created for the glory of God. I wonder what I was created for. You were created for the glory of God. Which mean, and if the glory of God is how he reveals himself, you were created. That, you would, that, that God would reveal himself to you and that you would see God clearly and know him. You're created to have a relationship with God. You're created for the glory of God. You're created to have a relationship with God. That means the same thing. D.A. Carson says this about the glory of God. He says, The glory of God is the manifestation of God's character or person in a revelatory context. It's a fancy way of saying it's how God makes himself known to us. Beth Moore, a great Bible teacher, she once said, the glory of God is how God makes himself known to you, and how God makes himself known through you. So if that's true, let's unpack that for a second. If the glory of God, if we're supposed to live for the glory of God, and the glory of God is how God makes himself known to us, and how God makes himself known through us, then to live for the glory of God would be the recipient reciprocation of that. If He wants to make Himself known to us, we should want to know Him. You live for the glory of God when you want to know Him. When you want Him to reveal Himself to you more. When you want to open your eyes and see Him. When you want to hear what He says because you're willing to obey. Living for the glory of God is desiring to know Him. And that's the first half. And then desiring the glory of God is how He makes Himself known through us. It's desiring that in my life, I want people to somehow see you through my life. The glory made through you. That's that's what it looks like to live for the glory of God. So, let's recap. To live for the glory of God is to want, to desire to know God. And to desire for other people to know God because you're their friend, you're their family, you're their life. And what Jesus is saying is that this is not an individual sport. That we do this collectively best. <laughs> we do this together best. Any of you guys good preachers? Cool, me neither, right? But, <laughs> but here's the thing. Not all of you should be of your preaching. Not all of you have to have all the answers. Not, not all of you are, are, are called to do this. Thank God. Not all of you are called to do anything, but we're all called to do something. And when we bind together, when we do it together, it's really the reason why we have local churches. So that we can come together and live for the glory of God, desire to know him more, desire to make him known more. It's not that complicated, and yet it's not that easy And So we need his help. And that's why it's such good news that he's like, here's another one, throw a ball, open your arms, here it he comes to your heart. He's already given you his glory. He's given you the ability to know him. And he's given you the ability to make him known. He gave that to us. He gave that to us. We don't need to muster it up. We don't need to dig a hole and find it. We don't need to find all our creative energies together and figure out how to make something come into existence. He's already given it to us. We see it display. We see it. Display. We need to live it. So desiring to know God more and desiring that God would, would make himself known through us as well. And so look at verse 26 again with me. If you have your Bible, let take a moment. John 17. If you haven't opened up to it yet because you were like, I'm holding out because it might be on the screen. It's not going to be on the screen. I tricked you. Right? Verse 26. Listen to this. Jesus prays. He goes, I made your I made your name. By the way, let's just stop there. God's name is who he is. In the Old Testament, names were significant because they told people who you were. When it says, when it says I made your name, Jesus is saying, I made who you are. I made your person. I made you known. I made who you are known. Now let's get back. Untime. Verse 26, John 17, he goes, I made your name, who you are known to them. And I will continue to make it known. This is a promise that Jesus prays to his Father. I commit to this. I made who you are known to them. And I'm going to continue to make who you are known. How He, didn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't say how at that point, right? How do you think that's going to happen? He's going to continue To make who God is known through his church for all time. That's Jesus' promises to his father. You think he'll keep that promise? He always keeps his promise. So Jesus is literally praying if the glory of God is how he makes himself known to us. And how he makes himself known through us. And to live for the glory of God is to desire to know him. And desire to make him known. And then Jesus says, well I've already made you known to them. But I'm going to continue to make you known through them. Jesus praise that we we would be a people who would desire to know him and make him known I'm gonna have the worship team come back up and the third thing in your notes is this as if we haven't already covered it but it's gotta be on paper if it's gonna be true the evangelism of God's kingdom evangelism of God's kingdom so we have God's people binding together living for the glory of God by wanting to know him wanting to make him known By loving each other and showing grace to each other. Just as God has shown grace to us and loved us. May they show grace to each other and love each other. And may they continue to know you more. Know your grace and your love more. And may they continue to make it known to others. And how do you think that happens? By showing grace and showing love. So this is all binding together. And then the end piece is that this is the best context For the kingdom of God to advance. For evangelism to take root. For your agnostic friends to see God. For your atheist friends to see God. For your Christian friends that have lost hope to see God. For you yourself in the morning when you wake up and you're like, I'm lost. For you to find God again. It all comes from God's prayer that the church would be the agent of God's revelation. The primary way that God's revelation is spread He's gave us his word we take his word we live it out and we become living testimonies we're the church we are evangelism so verse 20 he goes I pray not only for these but also for those who believe in me through their word through their testimony how has God changed your life how has God revealed himself to you How has God made himself known to you? How is God making himself known to you? How do you need God to make himself known to you? What burden are you carrying that you just need to not carry on your own anymore because it's not an individual's fault? What is it that you're trying to handle all on your own and not involve everybody else? When we do that, we hinder evangelism. We hinder what Jesus prayed. He wants us to open up, love each other. If you're worried that I don't want I don't wanna I don't wanna let myself know because if people really knew the real me, I might not like it. That's normal. That's how I feel too. I bet you if we showed a, a, a raise of hands, we've all felt like that before. Have you guys ever been in a crowded room and felt like you were still alone? <coughs> you might feel like that right now. Right? Because We don't believe that other people are going to give us grace. I'm praying that as a church, this would be a church that if we do one thing right, that people could feel like it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay like that forever, that they would want to grow, they would want to grow together, and that they would want people to know where they're really at. And that way they could celebrate when they actually do grow. Because you could see it. Because it's not like the world where it's all fake and put into a little screen and put up on social media. This is what I want the world to know about me. Right? What if Jesus sent an Instagram post and that was it? He didn't come in flesh and live it out as messy as it was, right? Especially on the cross. It's messy. There's a lot of messiness in, in the Gospels because Jesus was willing to be real. He's willing to be human. He's willing to suffer. So he says, I pray not only for these, his disciples, but also for those Who believe in me through their word. That's us in this room. And everybody we know by the way. Just there's only people who have. Been evangelized and converted. And those who haven't yet. That's the way we should live. Only those who are Christians. And those who are not yet Christians. Everybody is a potential Christian. Who needs to hear the. Needs to see God. They need the revelation. Supposed to come through us. So here's what I want to do. The big idea this morning is that when God's people live together for the glory of God, this is the best context for the evangelism of God's kingdom. And I just want to take a moment, a reflection moment. You guys get with that? We're going to sing. We always sing corporate worship, communion, and commission. And we're going to do that this morning. But before we do that, one of the ways God's people can unite for the glory of God is through prayer and worship. Do you guys know that? And when we pray, it is a revelation of who God is. Because we're, we're, no, none of you are going to be weird to talk to a wall, right? you are going to talk to something that doesn't exist. We're talking to God because he exists. Not as if he exists, but because he exists. Prayer is an opportunity to talk to a live, living God who has made himself known to us. And worship is worth so when we sing worship to God, whether you feel it or not, he's always worthy. So it's always authentic to sing worship to God. right? Whether you have the feels this morning, whether you're like, I'm a little out of it this morning. But if you stand up and sing, it's still authentic. You're not being fake because he does deserve it. Amen? He's worthy. He's worthy of it. Always authentic. And that's one of the ways that we can show worship to God. But the other thing is to pray like, I hope our church becomes more and more like this. Any of you guys ever, ever, ever pray because it's the right thing to do? No, I should pray. I should pray more before my meals. I should pray more. That would be a good thing. I pray more. I pray because I want to check off the box because it's a good thing to do. What if you prayed because if you didn't pray, you wouldn't make it? It's very different. It's a different attitude of prayer. Like, I'm going to pray because it's the right thing to do. Or I'm going to pray because if I don't pray, I won't make it. But let me just tell you, Jesus showed us a model. He prayed that we would be this type of church because if He did it, we wouldn't make it. Those 15 seconds where He said that prayer has changed the world. We're here today, I believe, because of those, verse 20 through 26. Only way we made this one. Thank you for listening to Remembrance Community Church Podcast. You can find all our weekly sermons online at remembrancecommunity.org forward slash sermons.